Hey, good morning. If we have not met yet, my name is Kyle, and I'm the lead pastor here at Generations Church, and I am just so glad to gather with you this morning. So here's what I want to do before we dive into our teaching time together, is I just want to pray and ask that God speak to us this morning, and I just want to make sure I welcome everybody online as well. So let's pray together. God, you are good. And I'm just so thankful that you love us. God, that you have moved on our behalf. And God, so this morning, just as we look at your word together, I just pray that the meditation of my heart and the words coming out of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. God, we need to hear from you this morning. Could you have promised not to leave us nor forsake us, God? So just in this moment, as we pause just our day, whatever we, we've been doing, God, to just gather here. God, you have promised that you will be here with us as we gather, whether in this room or online, God. So I just pray, speak to us. We want to hear from you. Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What do you do when you've tried it all and still feel empty? What do you do when you've tried it all and still feel empty? As I sat on a bluff in northern Kenya, I was perplexed. Everything I had been doing to build a life of success was in place yet it felt as if I was out of body. I stared out into the vast wasteland, and for the first time in my life, I heard a question that had been nagging at my soul. What if life wasn't about you? You wanted to be a lawyer, so what? You wanted to be elected to office, so what? You wanted to earn all kinds of money, so what? You wanted stuff, you wanted a nice house, so what? You've gone to any college you wanted, so what? Every vain or self-oriented thing that was brought up resulted in a so what? I remember sitting there with my Bible in a book called Soul Print by Mark Batterson, staring off into this wasteland. I'd come thousands of miles away to northern Kenya for the hopes of what? To find myself to figure out what God wanted for me and for my life. And as I sat there, I opened my Bible to this passage. It's in Mar Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. I assure you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is our final week in our series called Rain. 
God in a world of options. And I realize that not everyone in this room feels like they have options. Maybe, maybe you in this room just feel like you're at your ropes and you feel like you don't have the options before you. Some of you feel like you're just trying to survive. Some of you may even be trying to manufacture some faux optimism to just try to, to muster some sense of, of joy or purpose. And so you picture yourself with a desire of your heart. If I could just get that, it would all be better. Let me ask you, if you get your heart's desire, then what? When the chaos of our world comes, is whatever you deem most important able to sustain you? This far, we've looked at Jesus' identity as we've worked through Matthew chapter 16 together over the last several weeks. And if you missed a week, you can go back and watch it uh, on YouTube or find it on our podcast. But what we've looked is we've looked at Jesus' identity and what his identity meant for his early disciples and means for us today. We arrive at this point in our story to which Jesus has been building with, the, with his disciples in an area called Caesarea Philippi. And it's way up north in northern Israel. And Jesus stands there with all of the options of the world present in view. And what we've looked at is how in amidst all those options, we've seen Jesus help his disciples discover who he is and what he will do, which means something for them, which brings us again to our passage today, what we will do in response. Did you catch that progression? Jesus is, so Jesus does, therefore we are, thus we will do. This is the great reversal. Every aspect of our lives attempt to define us by what we do. Often our actions determine who we are, what we find most valuable, and we define ourselves by that, and what we have and what we do communicates thus who we are, which ends up communicating about what Jesus either has or hasn't done for us, ascribing for us, what we think he's really like. And when we rightly understand how Matthew communicates this encounter, we cannot help but live willingly under the reign of King Jesus. See, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he proves it to us by laying down his life on the cross. Which means you are worthy of love, you have dignity, you have value. And there's nothing anyone can do to take that away from you. Because Jesus, Jesus proved it by laying his, down his life for you. And he invites us to respond from that love. See, we live in response to the love he has for us. To the justice and grace he has communicated to us because he died in our place. To bring us back into the family of God. And this is why he pumps the brakes on the original disciples in this narrative of sharing the message that Jesus is king, that he is king, until they understood the implications that there is to be a renunciation of self 
In order to follow Christ, we must not only forsake isolated sins, places where we miss the mark, where we say, my will be done, rather than God's will be done, where we're more concerned about self rather than what God's concerns are, and he rebukes Peter for that. And it's time that we surrender our rights of our own lives over to him and also surrender that self-will that lies at the root of every act of sin. It's to abdicate the throne of our own heart and pay homage to him as king by simply responding and living out his character and priorities through us. This renunciation of self is vividly described by Jesus in three different phrases as he talks to the group of disciples there with him. He says that if anyone wants to come with me, he should follow me. We must be awed by the majesty of the me. Not me and ourselves, but we must be engaged with Jesus. We must be enthralled with Jesus. We must be willing to follow after him. And at its simplest, Christ's call was to follow him. And he extends that invitation to you today. To follow him. To enter into relationship. Not where you have to have all the answers, where you have to, to, have, to have to have this, this picture of exactly what it's supposed to look like, but it's to simply put one foot in front of another, to begin to engage. He asked men and women th- there, his disciples, for their personal allegiance. And he invites us to pledge ours to him as well. We're invited to learn from him, to obey his words, and to identify them. They were invited to identify themselves with his cause, and we are as well. It's relational. It's not joyless obedience where we seek to check off a bunch of boxes. Sweet, I did this. I did what what a good church person is supposed to do, or what I think a follower of Jesus is supposed to do. Or passive viewing of, yeah, I, 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 I'm a Christian and, and I just, I'll kind of watch it from a distance. But no, it's invited into a relationship where he gets to know us and we get to know him. And it's a response out of love. We follow him. And he never leaves us as he leads. Because we know that it's out of love because he follows. He sets his sight to Jerusalem, to die on the cross, to die for that group of disciples, to pay the penalty for their sin, to bring them back in the family God, communicate what love looks like. And Jesus does not leave us. He does not go too far ahead, but he always stays in proximity and invites us to say, come on, come with me. And in our followership of Christ, we are to renounce all lesser loyalties that may try to take us to the left or to the right when Jesus invites us to go straight. Or when he he says, come with me this way, we follow him in that way because we are in a world full of options. And we may want to say, give me Jesus, but we ourselves prefer to have a queue full of other channels. I mean, just think about it. If you had to go back to three channels and give up your Netflix your, your Amazon Prime, your Disney Plus, every show that you could imagine for you or for your kids on demand, we like those options. 
to the thought of going back to a place of three channels. Some of you are twitching right now. I'm not sure I could handle it. I'm not sure if my kids could handle it. At that idea of limited options. Some of you may even be like, well, life was simpler. But even in that, you may want less because of convenience. That you don't have to make a hard choice. It's simply made for you. See, as Jesus invites us to follow him and perfect relational proximity to us, we have to take the step and begin to follow him with our own two feet. And this message of Jesus is never about ease. He will take us down difficult paths. It's not about removing the obstacles or the options, but in the midst of those obstacles and options, him being present with us. He never lowers his standards or modifies his conditions to make his call more readily acceptable. He simply asks his first disciples and asks every follower since to give him their thoughtful and total commitment. And he doesn't say it again that it'll be easy. He doesn't promise us that we'll get all the answers, but he promised that he will be with us and show us the way and wants us to follow. And nothing less will do. It is to deny ourselves. It's not just giving up maybe candies or coffee or some sweets or some type of meat for a good or for a period of voluntary abstinence or giving up TV for a while. No, it's to deny, not to deny things, but to deny myself. But not to deny myself, but to deny myself to myself. It's to say no to self. And yes to Christ. You know in those moments when it's maybe late at night and you get that craving and that hungry and you face that challenge. Do I go get another bowl of ice cream or do I go to bed? Do, the, you know, the, the, those moments where it's like, do I grab another snack or do I watch another show? And you know maybe even you've got a long day tomorrow and, and you feel that wrestling in your will. You know that it's present. Parents with kids know this as well. Every time they say, please do this, or you should do that, or attempt to discipline, and those kids fight back with no, or that joyful smile that says, yeah, I'm listening, and as they walk the other way. We know that will exists, and we know how difficult it can be to say no or to deny myself to myself. But it begins and it starts by sacrificing time, money, convenience, comfort, and safety for the sake of others. See, that's what Jesus does for us, and we can learn to follow after his pattern. And you can even go to Matthew chapter 25 and see a brief list of what this may look like for you. Every week, I try to give you a passage to go to f f throughout your week. Because this is not just a Sunday thing. This is not something where we want you to just tune in one hour a week. But we want your faith to be an everyday faith so that as you are in proximity to other people, the priorities and character of Jesus that is in you begins to spill into the lives of others. And let me tell you about the first time I noticed how Jesus' priorities began to conflict with my own. I mentioned in the opening a little bit about how I was set on a specific academic track. Well, that 
the drive, that internal de- desire for achievement didn't leave after that encounter in Kenya. It followed me into college. And one of the things that I was always trying is do your best schoolwork. That's what you got to do. You got you to put it all into your academic achievement. Academics, getting A's was high on the list. It was my number one. I knew plenty of people who didn't like school and thus pro- procrastinated, but I only knew of one person who would sacrifice a grade because he was spending time caring for others. That was my brother-in-law, Andrew. And I remember one of the first semesters of school. And he, we, we were in the same class. We had an assignment to do. There was a paper due the next day. And he actually drove a friend back to their home about 10 hours away and came back. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you, you have a paper due the next day. We've been working on it. It's not done yet. Why in the world would you spend your gas money, your time? Again, your family only had two cars, so you were taking one of their two cars 10 hours away there and back to take to someone Again, this, this guy's mom was sick, and he was taking him home for the weekend so he could be, or at the start of the early weekend, so that he could get back to his mom. And I remember thinking that. It's like, we've got this paper due, and you're doing that. That wasn't the first time that I saw that come out of Andrew. I saw it at times when he would stay late up night with people in the dorm talking about what it looks like to follow God, answering late-night phone calls and texts, and willing to have spiritual conversations with people. And I'm going, like, what are, like, what are you doing? Like, this doesn't make sense. You have a grade. We're here for school. We're here to get grades. We're, like, that, that matters because that affects your job. And, you, and I just, my brain broke. For the first time in my life, I saw someone else who put others' needs and interests ahead of their own academic achievement. Now, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you remember that encounter where you saw that something you valued so much and you saw someone else who didn't value it quite as much but put others' needs ahead of their own. My brain broke. And I have been trying to figure out what it looks like to communicate the love of Jesus to others and how it's more important than a grade ever since. Because people don't do that normally. You bump up into people every day who put their own self-interests ahead of yours. But the church, the people that are relationally connected to Jesus, who live as if he is king, puts others' interests and needs ahead of our own, even when it inconveniences us, even when it's uncomfortable. And that's going to challenge something that you hold most dear. Because we live in a world of options and access. And Jesus says, follow me. And he wants inner surrender of home, job, and leisure. And a refusal to allow these to occupy first place in our lives. He does not want those to occupy first place in our lives. He wants himself to occupy first place. And that spills over into the things we hold most dear. I said it wasn't going to be easy. I said it was going to be maybe even a little inconvenient. But Jesus never lowers those standards. And in fact, the next phrase Jesus uses, he says, take up a cross. If we had lived in Palestine and seen a person carrying his cross, we, would, we should at once have recognized this person as a convicted prisoner being led out to pay a supreme penalty. 
To take up the cross is to put oneself in the position of a condemned person. Think of how graphic that is. Someone carrying a large cross, going to their death. And Jesus says, you must do the same. Put yourself in this position. To embody the very path of Jesus includes a level of difficulty, includes a level of shame. It includes misunderstanding. It's agreeing to being put under this vantage point that says people may not understand why we're doing what we're doing. But part of our vision of Generation Church is we want our why to be because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can put spirit over self. We can surrender ourselves. We don't have to worry about the perceptions of others. And we can follow Jesus. Now, we don't always do this perfectly by putting God's purposes and priorities ahead of our own. So I want to give you something very practical. And it doesn't change that Jesus is on the throne, that he rules and he reigns. But sometimes we need the reminder of how that plays out in our life when we would rather be selfish or think of our self in terms and in contrast to living under the way of King Jesus. Something called spiritual breathing. And what this is, is this is a tool that you can use in your everyday life. When you make a mistake, when you lose your temper, when you, when you know and come to the awareness that you have sin, that you have, you've crossed God's law, that you've, you've put self-centeredness, you've put your interests ahead of God's interests and ahead of others' interests. What you do is you exhale. And you, in your mind, say, God, I admit what I was done is wrong. Here's what I did. I need to surrender to you. You're laying it down. And as you inhale, you, you metaphorically, you put Jesus back on the throne of your life. And you say, by your promises, by your example of laying down your life on the cross for me, I'm forgiven. You've shown me grace. You don't view me in light of this mistake. You don't view me in light of this failure. You don't view me in light of this, this fear. You are back on the throne. And each and every day that we go that, we do that, we're able to exhale the, our missteps, our mistakes, and inhale the promises of God that we are loved, that we haven't been forgotten, that we will receive an eternal reward when we place our faith in Him. And that's what we are living for. And the very next step, as you exhale and as you inhale, you step right back into walking with the Spirit. That you're not walking by your own strength and your own power. You're not trying to fix it, you know, maybe fit, fist clenched, trying to, trying to manufacture, because again, that's self. But in that moment, you're able to exhale, release, and inhale. God is on the throne. He rules and He reigns. And He hasn't changed His position even when we make a mistake, even when we sin. But sometimes we just need to do that because we are saying, God, your will be done rather than my will be done. And every day we get to renew that unconditional surrender to Jesus. 
And when we don't deny ourselves and try to live by our own strength and our own power, we unleash sin, sin through living by the law. Because we then have to make up our own standard in a changing world. And we have to force ourselves to live by the standard that we generate or deem as good and force others to live by it as well, which causes all kinds of relational harm and devastation. Because we won't live up to the standards that, of others and ourselves that we set. And this results in a graceless world. And the beautiful thing about walking and living as spirit over self, it's a perspective that is full of purposeful favor for others. Because God has displayed purposeful favor towards you in Jesus. And likely right now you may feel this weight. We don't like the language of denial or submission or obedience. We, we've tried to, to remove that from our language because it doesn't necessarily make us feel good. And we're trying to wrap our minds around it. So let me again run, remind you of the order. Our response, our, the love and purposeful favor that we respond with to Jesus, entering into that relationship, comes at the end. Because Jesus is king. And he laid down his life for you, which says again that you are worthy, that you are part of his family. And therefore, we can respond with great grace and forgiveness. And this seems like losing our life. And this is the third expression which Jesus uses to describe the renunciation of self. To lose our life. The word here for life denotes neither our physical existence nor our soul, but our self. The psyche, the ego, that will, the human personality which thinks, feels, plans, and chooses. We're to lose that and surrender it to Jesus by committing ourselves to Him. And that's what it is. It's not that it puts us out of mind, out of thought, that it's forgetful, but we willingly choose to commit ourselves back in relationship to Jesus. This does not mean that we lose our individuality, but that our will becomes surrender to Christ's will, which means there's no part of our life that's off limits to Jesus. Means that when we open ourselves to Jesus, there will be change. Here's how radical this is. Early Christians would have not felt comfortable submitting to the religious elite nor Caesar when identifying Jesus as king. They could not give their allegiance in these ways because it had already been given to Jesus. Meaning we should not pledge our allegiance to any entity over Jesus. No person, no power, no principality. To whom or what are you clinging? What you cannot do without is what actually reigns in your life. What you cannot do without is what actually reigns in your life. No doubt this raises something within us. To put Jesus as king in our life means change will come. We must open ourselves to the possibility and probability of change. And this is for our own sake. The astonishing paradox of Christ's teaching and of Christian experience is this. If we lose ourselves in following Christ, we actually find ourselves. True self-discovery comes in true self-denial. By denying myself to myself and committing myself to Christ. 
there's no part of our life that's off limits to change of Jesus. So what part of your life have you boxed in? Have you tried to hide in a closet? Have you tried to say, Jesus, you can be king in all of these areas, but not this area for fear of difficulty, for fear of failure, because of how others might perceive you or because there might be some misunderstanding or because it knows that you, you might have to give up some level of power or control. To enforce this truth, that we truly discover ourselves when we deny ourselves because we find ourselves fully in Jesus. Jesus placed the whole world in contrast to an individual soul. He then asks a businessman's question on profit and loss. We cannot gain the whole world for our appetite for power, control, approval, and comfort, for it is a bottomless pit. What will a man give in exchange for his life? What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Because see, even if we did gain something, even if you get your heart's desire, it would not last. Nothing is valuable enough even to make the offer for oneself. If it's a person, they will likely mistreat you or lie at some or let you down in some ways. If it is something physical or material, likely it will break. If it's a place of power or comfort, we know right now in our changing world that places of power and comfort are up for grabs. We cannot hold on to them despite what we want. So the whole point is to not hold on to it with our might, but to give them up and surrender to Jesus. And when we lose ourselves, what happens is people take notice. Because they see something of greater value in our life than anything in this world can provide. John Stott, in his basic Christianity, written back in 1951, returns how when we lose ourselves, it actually benefits others. Most, he says, most of us feel oppressed by the heart-rending tragedy of this chaotic world. Over our very survival is questionable. The ordinary citizen often feels helpless feels like a helpless victim of the tangled web of politics or a faceless unit in the machine of modern society. That rat race, it just keeps going. The days never stop. But Christians need not to succumb to this sense of powerlessness. When we are asked to do something particularly hard, whether or not we are willing to do it depends very much on who asks us. For He asks us no more than what He gave. Jesus asks us no more than he gave. And when we begin to give what He has given, when we begin to exchange our life for an eternal one, we begin to tap into the hope and to the promise that on the other side of a grave, there is a resurrection. And Jesus promises this to His disciples, that the loss of life in this world brings the reward of life in the next. When you live for life in the next, you extend it into this one. People, as you know, are desperate. We're clinging on to power, to control. We're trying to, to chase after our heart's desires. In the midst of all that, it seems to fall through our 
fingertips. Jesus says, do not try to gain this world because you will lose yourself in pursuit of it. But instead, give yourself over to me and you will taste the beautiful joy, peace, patience, kindness, hope, this reward that is never perishing. So where is God asking you to change? Where in your life is God bringing to the challenge to you to not be true to yourself, but to be true to Christ? For me, it was academics. For me, so it's with my time. And what happens is what seemed upside down will now be visible as right side up through you. When you begin to extend God's will and God's way by putting spirit over self into every aspect of your life. And here's the beautiful thing, is we can't do it alone, nor are we asked to do this alone. Jesus shares this with a small group of disciples, not to the masses, not to thousands of people. He shares it with a few, because what happens when the church puts spirit over self, and we do this together, we're not going to want to do life any other way because we will be able to rally around each other, to encourage one another, to forgive each other, to be, give grace to one another. We know that, that relationships are messy. They're difficult. But we want more people to experience the loving and liberating and life-giving name of Jesus. And we do that when together we put spirit over self, when we depend on Him. And we allow the inconveniences of life to actually get flipped upside down and be seen as opportunities to show that we choose Jesus over the options of the world. And when we choose Jesus over the options of the world, people are changed. Our community is changed. And we ex get to experience a hope a taste that something great is coming when Jesus comes back. Let's see that break into the now through Generations Church because we are a community of everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. Let's pray. God, you are good. Jesus, you love us. You proved it to us. I feel like that's just a theme that I just keep saying again and again, God, because I so desperately want us to believe it, that we can live in this world and not have fear, not be discouraged, but have hope because you loved it and proved it to us. You set your sight on the cross. Did not let the options deter you from that. May we live as people together who live as if you are king, because you are king, and you reign, even in the midst of a world options. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. It's in your name I pray.